Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hulu's The Looming Tower. Based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning book by Lawrence Wright, this limited series traces the rising threat of Osama bin Laden and how the rivalry between the FBI and CIA may have set a path for the tragedy of 9-11. The Looming Tower is available now only on Hulu. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Barry, Lights Camera Assassin from executive producers Bill Hader and Silicon Valley's Alec Berg. The new HBO comedy Barry centers on a depressed hitman who discovers a new passion for acting while on a job in Los Angeles. Hader stars as Barry as he struggles to balance the responsibilities of the life he has with the pursuit of his dreams, hilariously misfiring along the way. The series also stars Henry Winkler, Stephen Root, and Sarah Goldberg. New episodes of Barry premiere every Sunday at 10.30 p.m. on HBO. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRigger.com and joining me in the studio, he just got done doing Dexter's monologue from True Romance. It's Andy Greenwald! I thought you were going to do he just got a Czechoslovakian unregulated drug injected into his nether parts. <laughs> into his Netherlands? Way, I, I just feel like I hope people watched either Barry or Trust. That's always the fun part about those intros is you never know. Oh, you never yeah. know. Andy, wow. it's Monday. It's The Watch. Uh, we got a lot of TV to talk about today. Barry, yeah. Trust. Yeah, and then... It's Billions Island Day for it, CR. It's not an island. It's a continent at this point. That's the truth, man. It's a flotilla of content at the ringer. Dude. We've got the recapables with Bill Simmons and Mallory Rubin. We've got all manner of written blog posts. Yeah. And then today, joining us on the second half of the podcast, yes. Mike Wags Wagner. In the real life, David Costabile. David is also... <sighs> He's your favorite actor's favorite actor, man. Yeah. He's in everything. He's in Lincoln. He's in The Wire. He's in Breaking Bad. Yeah, you know, man. he's and he is the iconic character from Billions. He is my by far I, my favorite part of the show. I'm so happy he was on the show. I was not there. Yeah. Because I think we agreed that had I been there, we would have primarily talked about the bodegas on 7th Avenue in Park Slope, where he's been known to roam. <laughs> Do they still have bodegas in Park Slope? I mean, most of them are Dwayne Reed's now, but yeah, yeah, a couple. And I don't know if people know this, but... He is the mayor. Park Slope is character actor central. <laughs> because every day, hopping off the F train, I would see Costaville. I would see Corey Stoll. Yeah. I would see Steve Buscemi. I mean, like, that's the spot. They just get there and talk about how they're just going like to... The entire dis- cast of The Death of Stalin dis- is right disappear there. Disappear into their roles. <laughs> uh, so we've got uh, Dave Costable of To Do Talk Billions in the second half of the show. We're going to spend the first half of the show talking about Barry and Trust. Barry, the new show on HBO, kind of the brainchild of Bill Hader. Totally. And I definitely felt, especially in the pilot, which I think is... Is definitely something, you know, like with pilots, they're like first albums. And sometimes mm. and, and sometimes they feel a little overwrought. But this was one of those pilots that you could tell Bill Hader had been thinking about for a long time. I think he actually shot this quite a while ago. Well, in typical HBO fashion, their development pipeline is so slow that I think he first started to generate the idea. Like with 14? In 14, 15, yeah. With Alec Berg, who uh, has a great resume, but more recently is the co-showrunner of Silicon Valley. Right. Um, they shot the pilot, I think, in early 16, shot the series in 17, and it finally premiered in 18. And it has uh, a f- the feel of something that's been really, really thought out. Not only is the world really well-developed in a not, mm-hmm. in a very subtle way, I mean, it's sense of place in terms of that North Hollywood vibe that that the the character mostly resides in is really excellent, but also tonally, which is probably the hardest thing to find in a pilot. Yeah, I agree with that. So um, to give a little bit of background, basically... This is about an ex-soldier who has gotten back from Afghanistan and becomes a hitman working for one of his father's friends. And he seems to have... Which, by the way, is also in Collateral. Yes, right. Literally a a hit person from the army working for one of her father's friends. And frankly, there's a couple of beats in here where, you know... This show does remind me a little bit of Gross Point Blank, sure. which was a pretty, pretty I think, important movie in our high school days. Uh, John Cusack, Mini Driver. or college? Anyway, it was the like 90s. 96, something like that, 97 maybe. Is that when you were in high school, Chris? <laughs> I nice, was taking nice, nice try. some continuing education courses <laughs> sure, that was in your high school. <laughs> Malia Obama gap years. <laughs> That's right. 
But he's um, literally Benjamin Buttoning as we do this podcast. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how you, how you felt about the pilot? I think you got it right when you talked about the tone. This is an incredibly difficult tone to get right because I think it was clearly important. It's on the screen that it was important to Bill Hader to get the balance of actual hitman and violent stuff uh, right in relationship to the comedy. He's talked about this on various podcasts, including yeah. Bill Simmons' podcast live from Austin. Um, the pilot does a pretty good job balancing it and giving and giving us the world that he wants the show to reside in. I've watched a little bit ahead. I've watched the second episode. And it's one of those things that I, I think is a little bit familiar from some other HBO comedies, and maybe this is reflective of their development process. The second episode, the, the seams showed a little more, but I wanted to keep going. Mm-hmm. In, and I think that speaks to a potentially good to great show where there are enough pieces there and enough of a world that has been considered that I want to stay in it, even though I'm not entirely sure about um, it on an episode-to-episode basis yet. Um, the pilot, I mean, Hader is such a fascinating character. Uh, well, Barry's the character. Hader himself as a performer is fascinating. One of the, I mean, I would put him in either in or just outside the top five of all-time SNL cast members. Yeah, and the SNL thing is interesting because in SNL, you're on screen for the most five minutes at a time. Yeah. And often, you know, haters' characters, whether it was like Vincent Price or Stefan or whoever he was doing at any given time, were these really, you know, either incredible impressions yes. or really, really memorable characters. And in some ways, the one of the most impressive things about Barry is the way in which he recedes into a role. Exactly. So... I actually was almost surprised by how good he was since he wasn't that funny. And and in, and there's other funny things happening. Henry Winkler is just obviously like he's great. Off and running as soon as this show starts as an acting coach. But Hater, you're like, oh, is this is this guy been in like action movies and in thrillers for the last twenty years? It's have, really like he is at home in the material. Have you seen the Skeleton Twins? I have, uh, yes. So in and and he's talked about this in the press that that may have been the more important role. Because that's what HBO saw to be like, yeah, you can do this. Yeah, because, you know, you think about the the life cycle of, of SNL cast members, for the most part, they are either the biggest personalities go on to to trade on that, that giant personality, a la Will Ferrell, um, or there are the traditional glue guys, like mm-hmm. your Phil Hartman, who, you know, found a role that suited one aspect of his personality and allowed the other craziness to go around him on news radio, for example. Yeah. Hater was really fascinating because he was incandescent, but incandescent in character. It wasn't so much that you were excited about Bill Hader, you were excited about Bill Hader's impression or performance in. He is a glue guy who is also, underneath it all, a very good actor. Right. So it's the right choice for him, I think, to because he can play that sort of low bass note in his own show. I think that they make a number of smart choices with the casting, as you said, said in the world. I think my only red flags going forward are, one, the tone, because it's a comedy. It wants to be a comedy. And there are things like the Chechens, for example, the bald guy, uh, who it's a great performance. Yeah. Um, he's not done on the show. I hope that's not a spoiler. And as he goes forward, you know, it's a broader choice and a broader performance. And sometimes I think that clashes as they're starting to figure it out going forward. Um, the other thing is just, you know, actor, actors making shows about actors. It's kind of like when David Simon was making season five of The Wire about we've journalism. Heard, we, season five of The Wire has come up a lot recently. Yeah, I, I just, it's always a, it's not a red flag. It's a, it's a tiny red handkerchief for me mm-hmm. when people <laughs> celebrate the quirks. A red pocket square. Exactly. Yeah. Something classy. Yeah. Um, when people make shows about worlds that they are particularly, I mean, you should write what you know. But when you're like, it's sort of like telling someone about your dream. You know, when you find, of course, people who have been in improv groups or in acting classes find the quirks of acting classes incredibly funny and fascinating. Yeah. Acting as a profession in general, probably like journalism too, that is prone to navel gazing. So while I liked the acting class in the beginning, I have some questions about its long-term viability just as something that is going to entertain everyone and not just themselves. These are small points. It's an interesting show and it's an ambitious show and it's worth pursuing. I mean, HBO hasn't launched a... Have they launched a big comedy in a minute? I I started to say it, then I started to walk it back. I guess Insecure would be if you call Insecure a comedy. Insecure was their last big half-hour... I mean, sorry, divorce heads. You so you keep up with S two of that show? <laughs> How'd you do with that? I haven't. I haven't really d- tapped in yet. I noticed. I got, you have- admit, I, I got three episodes into S one. 
of divorce. Oh, really? Yeah, and that because, was it. Oh, I'm sorry, because you had the cape on for that show <laughs> after one episode. No, all yes. I said was it wasn't as bad as you said it was. That's you were like, this is about like how America <laughs> has like a deep ulcer in the center. Yeah, and I was like, chill out. I don't think that's fair. I didn't say it's about that. I said it's proof that it does. I'm glad we're talking about the HBO <laughs> universe a little bit because I have, yeah. I do have one note, okay. and this this pains me because I don't like. I'm not in control of this. You know what I mean? And I know everybody has to work to eat. But I need uh, I need us all yeah. to have a quorum. And we need to decide as a group wh- how much how many shows Glenn Fleshler can be in. Totally. Because, look, that dude is really cool. He's working. I love – he is routinely in the shows that I, I like. You want to list some of them? Let's just talk about – so Glenn Fleshler – you may remember him from Shmuel in Sex and the City back in 98, right? You may. You may. Popped up for two episodes on Third Watch, a uh, couple episodes of Law & Order Special Victims Unit. By the way, this episode of The Watch brought to you by imdb.com. He, no. Now, it pops up as Milton Trammell in Damages, which is where I think I first noticed yeah. him, okay? A little bit of Good Wife, a little bit of Boardwalk, Boardwalk Empire. Goes pro in 14. Yeah. With True Detective season one, Ghost Pro. I liked him on uh, uh, Boardwalk Empire. Actually. Yeah, and then and then since the, his t- 2014 on True Detective, he's been in the Nick. He's been in the following. Oh, he's good in the Nick. He's been in Hannibal. He's been on Billions. He plays Axe's lawyer on Billions. Uh, and then he did this run where he was the judge in Night of. He's on Barry, and he was the head FBI agent in Waco. So I feel like I'm watching three shows right now that Fleshler's got a role in. By the way. You basically just confirmed to me that he lives in Park Slope. <laughs> they have like a they have a co-op open for him. He just he he sublets Costa Bill's apartment. I, I think he must yeah. when he's filming. I mean, these are uh, well, Barry. Do you think that there should be a limit shows. on how many shows any one actor can be on at any given time for the sake of suspension of disbelief? I think this is what Congress just argued in regards to minor league baseball players. <laughs> They're like the fairness of America's pastime act is you can't get paid more than like a barrel of Cracker Jack and 10 bucks an hour. That's good. Um, I'm going to say no. Okay. There shouldn't be a federally mandated law <laughs> against actors working. Um, are you having trouble? Is, this seems like more like a cry for help from you. You can't keep track well, of it the flesh reverse. It's not cool if the Chechen mobster is also an FBI agent in Waco. Well, what about... I'm and then su- he's also Bobby Axe, Axelrod's lawyer in Billions at I'm, the same time. I'm going to suggest a different way for you to look at it. I think you should steer into this mental skid of yours. I think you should embrace it. <laughs> okay. You know, there's. So a, you, you want me to come up with a central unifying theory of how Glenn Fleshler? No, ties I'm saying he's only ever playing one part. Richard Belzer played uh, Detective John <laughs> oh, Munch that's good. across nine television okay. shows. Thus establishing... So you think he's still Errol Childress in all of these shows? You choose the role, (laughs) but he is. Because what I'm saying is that that proved definitively that 30 Rock existed in the same universe as Homicide Life on the Street. Right. So, you do this. Well, who who had the tweet the other day about whether or not... Because if there is... Somebody had something where it was like, if what are the what are those meme exists within the Black Panther universe, does that mean that the memes from our reality exist in MCU. So, okay. So are there any MCU-dependent memes that are thus rendered like you need, That's the, what you I need, mean. You need the cosmic cube to but understand that? But that would actually be wrong because the people in MCU are theoretically famous. Right. But there is no... Oh, so there would be meme... Oh, I see what you're saying. So there would be Thor there's memes... There's no Sokovia In here. the MCU. Wait, what? <laughs> well, yeah, because... Ultron fucking lifted it out of the earth <laughs> and threw it back down again. There's no Sokovia like, anywhere. To, maybe Fleshler is the key to all Maybe of he it. can explain He's this. He's the last Infinity uh, Stone. Last point on Barry before we venture too off of the reservation. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I'm optimistic about the show, not just the good performances and Bill Hader and Alec Berg and the pedigree of it, it's nice to see a comedy that is trying to do trying to thread this needle. Yeah. The show, one of the things that is in its favor, you'll see you'll see audience as it moves forward, is that it's serialized. It's very much like cliffhanger into the next thing, mm-hmm. which is better choice, I think, than he's just hanging out in LA and a new mission comes up. It's all connected because of course it would be. Um, I like that it is, we live in a world where a show about a Bill Hader character stumbling into an acting class in North Hollywood could get a two season order <laughs> at Netflix. Yeah. Minus the hitman component. Yeah. So while the hitman thing, you know, whether your mileage may vary on it, I like that they are trying something ambitious with a serialized action dramatic element in a half hour 2018 comedy. 
So we'll see. We'll we'll, we'll revisit. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the other show that uh, debuted last night. Yeah. Uh, Trust, which is FX's miniseries. What a time to be a Getty, you know? Sort of. Well, it's always a good time to be a Getty, I think, because you're just caked. Well, as we've learned, there are ups and downs to being a Getty. (laughs) I I I guess so. That's probably pretty true. So this covers familiar territory because it's covering the same— If there were two projects in 2019 based on the Ryan family legacy, would you be like, what a great time for me and my family? Because there's a TV show and a movie about these ill things that happened to my family? I guess so. I'm th- I, like I. I actually, yeah. I can't really speak to like what the Getty fortune is at right now. What is the? What would be the inciting incident of the Ryan family story that would be like the Getty grandson and heir being kidnapped by Italian coke lords? <laughs> like, what is the just slightly skewed art museum? Philadelphia version of this. I don't know. Is it the time like I got my cleats stolen in baseball practice? <laughs> well, you tell me, screenwriter. Yeah, like, Fairmount Sports Association still owes me forty five dollars for those. <laughs> what? What? What's that? FX just gave that a three season <laughs> yeah, order. Exactly. Danny Amazing. Um, so trust it has one of those strange development situations where. It was probably the uh, crown jewel of what FX was going to roll out alongside Atlanta for this season. They're excited, for yeah. This, this time period, and I never quite understand how when you have like such a niche story, two suitable, really wise companies will be like, "I don't care, let's just push forward with it." Like, I, I guess it's just a matter of nobody blinking. It's just deep impact in Armageddon. But this all over is the again. same. It's the same movie as all the money. It's the same story as all the money yeah. in the world, which didn't do very well. But did garner some Oscar nominations. Yes. And, and, and the movie version famously replaced Kevin Spacey at the last minute with Christopher Plummer. The TV version famously replaced Kevin Spacey with Donald Sutherland. <laughs> so Spacey got cut out. Of, is that, am I correct about that? I think you got that wrong. Okay. Uh, it stars Donald Sutherland, Brendan Fraser, and in later episodes, Hilary Swank. This felt like, when they say that they don't make n- movies like they did in the 90s, this felt like very 90s to me. As a movie or a TV show? As a movie. As a TV show. I mean, like... It reminded you of a 90s movie or a 90s Yeah, it had a kind of... Danny Boyle directed all these episodes, and it had a feel of... Did he direct all of them? I wasn't sure I'm not sure if he actually did, but I'm pretty sure he did. I want to know, because that's going to... My opinion about the show may change as we move on. I'm going to look it up while you talk. But it has a certain dark sense of humor, a visual sight gag sense of humor, and an acidity that I associate with a couple of, like lesser-known 90s kind of caper movies. like um, are, you, are you going? Are you doing Two Days in a Valley again? No, I'm thinking more like a simple plan, like the, the John Cusack, Billy Bob Thornton movie. That's I really like that movie. And I think that, that was Scott Frank, wasn't it? That was... Um, or Scott Burns. Yeah, but um, uh, it was Sam Raimi directed that. Right, exactly. That kind of like slightly more pop version of Coen Brothers vibe... And Danny Boyle trucked in that in the 90s, you know, like after train spotting, like he a, was a lifeless ordinary, lifeless kind ordinary. Of thing. Yeah. And um, interestingly enough, the person who wrote Trust is Simon Beaufoy. And yeah. I, you, know, you can say that there are almost three Danny Boyles. There's John Hodge, Danny Boyle, which is this really, really, really dark, um, not a very high opinion of humanity kind of kind of storytelling. <laughs> yeah. That's train spotting. That's a shallow grave. Then there's. Alex Garland, Danny Boyle, which is Sunshine and the Beach. And that and has 28 days later. And 28 days later. And that has an almost spiritual element to it. Um, and, and it usually has a lot of twists. And then there's Simon Beaufort, like Danny Boyle. And that's 127 hours and Slumdog and Trust. Historically rooted. A little um, bit more. Somewhat more about the triumph of the human spirit. It, more open hearted. I'll be open curious mind. to yes. see where the triumph comes uh, out of this story because for the most part, it's about. Disgusting rich people, mm-hmm. um, and their and and their harems. <laughs> they have harems. Yeah. yeah. First of all, what I just need to know. I think the biggest question all of us have: How do you feel at this stage of your life about having just retaining the services of an erudite gentleman to read you soft core? That's my literary part. porn, Von Blanc, just to get you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I did a little research live on air. Danny Boyle directed at least the first three. Okay. um, Which is great news. I was not looking forward to watching this show. I felt not only was it a little bit, you know, it's strange, much like that OJ thing a few years ago where actually both projects ended up succeeding Mm -hmm. on their own merits. Um, A little bit fatigued at the thought of the same type of story again. But more than that, after this run of uh, history karaoke, 
that we've been mm-hmm. lambasting on the podcast, from the Looming Tower to Waco, shows that sort of seem to be just mining the... They're movies of the week. Yeah, they're mining the the IP of IRL for... Ooh. I'm just I'm wow. off the dome today. Uh, for you know, an easy access to viewers, basically, to base, you know, you don't, there's no onboarding needed, yeah. like we were talking about with a pilot, usually, because at least the broad strokes of history are either well-known or easily Googleable. Um, so I sat down with zero expectations, and I got to tell you, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's, I, it's I, really well done. It's really well done. Now, um, just to, to provide a counterpoint, um, my wife didn't like it because for the reasons you said. She's had no interest in seeing disgusting rich people behave in disgusting ways. That's fair. What I really appreciated about it was something you alluded to a moment ago, which is it's pretty funny and it's pretty cockeyed and like a little bit to the side of the story it's telling. Danny Boyle directs the hell out of it. And and to your point about there being multiple Danny Boyles. it looks like it costs a billion dollars. I mean, the, 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 the depth of in which they recreate the Getty, uh, Sutton Place, is yeah, the, the mansion Sutton Place, in England. And all the sort of just absolutely almost garish amounts of wealth that he has accumulated and all the art that he's been buying from, you know, he's raiding the National Museum for... <laughs> yeah, for antiquities. Yeah, for antiquities, yeah. There, there is a element to the direction that reminded me of something that we loved about the Nick, which is where the, dire- the, the curiosity of the director outpaces the curiosity of the script, which, and I'll praise the script in other places for sure, but we would talk about how in the Nick when the scene would be boilerplate or exposition or ex- purely expository, mm-hmm. uh, Steven Soderbergh would take his camera and spin it around the yeah, room and all of a sudden the world would be bigger. And stuff, yeah. There are moments in this when, contrary to some criticism of Danny Boyle and some of his other movies, that he seems sort of ADD, that he just moves the camera to move the camera, mm-hmm. there are these li- visual um, little jolts of electricity, many of which involve bird slaughter um, <laughs> because yeah. a goose gets got yeah. and then there's a lot of plucking at one point too. It is not, to my mind, it was not too on the nose about captive animals or nature being trampled. It was just surprising to keep you, it was, it was off kilter. Um, there, are, there were moments in it where I was a little bit lost because there are a lot of people that kind of look alike who all have the same grievances against Donald Sutherland. Um, but I thought there were some nice grace notes that, again, elevated what could have been boilerplate aspects of a script meant to humanize someone because mm-hmm. there aren't that many human characters so far. Um, notably, uh, the cook who introduces herself as Cook. By the way, you should just be like, hey, I'm podcasting. <laughs> or, or whatever. But also the scene with the butler at the finale, uh, not the, at the, near the end of yeah. the episode, Bullimore, yeah. is really interesting, well played. Yes. Um, and Sutherland, one of our great actors, struggling sometimes with what I believe to be some pretty blocky or British phrasing. There's a scene where he's very angry and then the leader of his harem says, you're grieving. That all the dialogue, all his monologue in that speech that he gives... Um, to, was he seemed it just didn't make sense coming out of his mouth. Yeah, it's a little on the nose. They they open it up as like a, with King Lear as a framing device for the entire show, and I <laughs> yeah. think that that is is a bit on the nose. But this is an interesting conversation that we can have as we go through the season a little bit because I think I'm going to stick with it. I don't know. Before, yeah, yeah, I, I got to tell you, I I just enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I did the thing that I do that I can now say honestly because people know this. When I fired it up, I was like, it's going to be 57. It's going to be 57. It was like 108. And it was 102, 104. Yeah. And I was like, oh, God. Didn't, didn't notice. Didn't second screen it, guys. And also, I think that it's an interesting episode because it's largely a character study of Getty, of, of, of Sutherland. Yes. They spend a lot of time with him doing things to himself. <laughs> Many sexual things. Yeah. And uh, also just getting into his psychology. And I think future episodes each have like a very different... Um, I would imagine setup so. and vibe. So, uh, by by all accounts, the next episode is the Brendan Fraser episode, and it has it's it's got a real energy that the first one doesn't. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, we didn't go ahead on this one. I think that this is an interesting case of how this is going to play over week to week because when you watch this, if you were to watch three of these, although mm-hmm. that would be like four hours of your life, um, <laughs> if you were to watch three of these, you might have a different opinion about how it than if it was going out piecemeal like it is. Yeah, I, I I agree. The Brendan Fraser renaissance was not something I was necessarily expecting or checking for. Yeah. It started with our friend Zach Barron wrote a f- absolutely terrific profile of him in GQ uh, that I recommend everyone checking out. Really humanizes him. He's an actor I never really 
thought much about. Yeah. Um, generationally, he wasn't he wasn't my George of the Jungle. You know, every generation gets the one they deserve. But I, I, I didn't really see the Mummy movies. I didn't quite get it. When he shows up in the, very briefly in this premiere, yeah. I imagine that has some impact for people who used to see him in one role and hadn't seen him in a while just because he looks older and bigger. Sure. And again, by all accounts, he's quite good going forward. For me, it was just, it, it was a moment, it was almost a Glenn Fleshler-esque moment in that it took me out of it, you know, but where do you stand on him? I, I mean, I can't wait to see these future episodes. I mean, there's there's a real, like, he has, like, a certain gravity now that I don't think that we, we knew that he had, and so right. it's really exciting to see. I mean, I, I my, my experience with him is largely, like, Encino Man and stuff like that. Just the last thing, if you were on the fence about trust, guys, if you watched it, I, I would just say maybe the rest of the se- season doesn't live up to this, but the way the episode ended, with um, young Paul yes. uh, tripping in all senses through the streets of Rome and then having that interaction with the beautiful woman asking to kiss her and then basically bowing at a 2,000-year-old fountain, putting the, yeah. putting the hood on his own head was so... That's what, I, that's what I like in TV, man. Like, not those specifics, although they're pretty good, but it... That's the moment when the show, to me, kind of elevated. Yeah, and it was I, odd I, and I, it was surprising. I felt the same way about when... Uh, the payoff for the Teresa invitation happens and yeah, yeah. the way that the different girlfriends react. And I, I really love the Penelope character. Uh, it's I, I'm, I'm really excited to keep watching. I'm show. really surprised. It, we, we should not have Anna doubted. Chancellor is the person who played Penelope. Yeah. We should not have doubted that FX would be coming at this a little bit sideways. That yeah. They wouldn't just be doing movie of the week. It's good. It reminds me a little bit of the feeling that I had when Fargo first started where I'm like, this is different. And, this and, feels different. and I believe, and we can talk about this as we go forward, there is a plan for this to continue uh, for three or four seasons, I think about different rich families. I don't know. Not the Gettys. I had no idea. But yeah, the, the reason why this the, is called the Ryan's. Tr- this is. <laughs> I'm setting you up here. This is. They just called Trust Colon. Yeah. Ragnarok. Yeah. Or, or I'm sorry, I don't remember the full title. But it is. Yeah. There's something the anthology. Assassination of Chris Ryan's little league career. <laughs> uh, okay. You did that to yourself. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors, and we will be talking with Dave Costabile from Billions. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Microsoft Teams, your hub for teamwork in Office 365 with so much to look after. Wouldn't it be great if there was just one place to look? Teams is that single workspace where you can work, share, and connect with your people in your work life. Teams brings together your chats, meetings, files, and apps all in one place. Take teamwork where you work with apps for mobile and desktop. So whether you're sprinting towards a deadline or sharing your next big idea, Teams can help you and your team achieve even more. Microsoft Teams and Office 365. Visit office.com slash teams to learn more. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the homies at Hotel Tonight. Again, I cannot tell you how much I've been loving Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight helps you book amazing deals at great hotels. And even though the name's Hotel Tonight, you can actually book up to 100 days in advance in top destinations and up to a week in advance everywhere else. They work with cool, top-rated hotels and don't feature those long, endless lists of options you have to scroll through. Instead, they show you a select list of the best deals at the best hotels at any given time. So start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. Download the Hotel Tonight app now. I'm so excited to be joined by David Costaville, Wags from Billions. Mm-hmm. Maybe I think if, if we had to look at the data, the most beloved fictional character at the ringer by a long shot, I really? actually think. Yeah. I mean, really? and, it, and it, it was a slow burn, uh-huh. but sometime around mid, mid season one mm-hmm. and definitely throughout season two, you became something of an icon for our staff. So this is actually nice. a pretty big deal for us. Nice. I love it. Um, I was well, season three is going to really fuck you up because okay. it's even it's the show is the show is growing and the it's it's getting better and you know there is a solidity to what where wh- how and where Wags fits. Does it translate when you say this, there's a solidity to what you're doing? The show is growing. Does that translate behind the camera or in production? Yeah. Do you feel that when you're you guys yeah. all know what you're doing? How does that work out? It's just it's one of those things where the the writers and the the way that we're just telling the story is it's it's just gelling. And you, you know, in the beginning, and and this is true for most shows, but that you just are trying to find the exact voice. Yeah, and the 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 genre that they're um, somebody we're talking about it last night and somebody was saying that it was it was Elvis Mitchell who was saying it's like a screwball drama and <laughs> and it's a really it's that is a particularly weird and odd world yeah like how do you get it just in the right pocket and 
it's like music where you find that once you get in the pocket, you get in the pocket and you're just in it. And the writers have done that. And now as, as it's sometimes like, I think even in the second season, you had to wait until you saw it. And then you're like, Oh, I see with the music and all of the pieces together that I get it. Like this is, this is a solid, clear, we're telling the right, we're all telling the same story. But now while we're doing it in season three, you really feel like, oh no, we're, while you're doing it, you're like, yeah, the first episode, and this is going to go up Monday. So people have seen the first episode of season three. And I, I, I felt like, you know, it's interesting. I was watching another show that was just starting its second season. It's actually, it was actually Sneaky Pete, which I I Uh really, really enjoy Sneaky Pete, but it was clear that they had like a lot of plot they had to get through and they had it, and it was the way that they started their second season in comparison to say what you guys are doing three where I just feel like you guys are right out of the box so fast where it's just like, yeah, you know, you know what billions is right. But at this point, there's so many reference points that are thrown around in the dialogue Mm -hmm. and you guys get to have a lot of fun probably. And I was wondering whether or not you guys get any input with that, but Mm, it's pretty rare. It's pretty, it's it's just Brian and David. Yeah. It's pretty much the good fellas line the way Mm -hmm. I tell you. Kind of. Yeah. 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 But when you guys are on set or you're thinking about your performances, do you, gauge your performance in terms of reference points like I feel like I'm trying to do something that wouldn't be out of place and say like the firm in the 90s or what's the vibe I mean you definitely do talk about that you know those guys love movies and they love being able to um, play with the characters moving in and out of you, you know not being in those worlds, but but feeling like they can reference them with great ease and sort of slip into it and slip out of it. And, uh, you know, it's that is fun. And it's sort of for people who are giant movie buffs, it's sort of like a fun Easter egg. And you're just like, oh, yeah, I know that reference. But also those guys just think in those terms. They really love those movies and that the 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 dialogue isn't driven by that, but it is. Um, it's sort of like they're, it's like a parallel course that they're both in, they're just in two lanes that, that are going forward. I think that one of the, my favorite parts of the third of the the premiere of the third season is when you talk to Asia about the top, the top gun reference. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we all know that not only is it showing up in the show, but the characters in the show know it's showing up in the show. It's a great moment. You know, I just found out because I was listening to Brian as on Bill Simmons's pod Uh on Friday Uh and I didn't know that you guys went to school together. Yeah, we went to college together. So, did you were you guys friends from f- first day of freshman year? When, when did no, you? No, I mean, you know, he was the BMOC on campus because he had he had discovered while we were there he discovered Tracy Chapman and then he was her ma- her manager and producer and produced her first album. So, were you guys at NYU? Where were you guys? No, at Tufts. At Tufts. Okay. And um, and then I went back and then after school I had gone to NYU for my graduate. Degree. Okay. Um, so. I knew him. I think we had taken one class together, but you would sort of see him on campus and be like, oh, that guy. He's yeah. The, he's, the, he's the one. But then, and we weren't really, you know, we, we were friendly, but we weren't real friends and we didn't we didn't maintain until Brian had always sort of said that he was, he felt like if he had watched my career and sort of watched what I was doing over time and felt for him that there was justice in the world if I was able to succeed. Uh-huh. And if I wasn't able to succeed, that I was going to be one of the barometers of being like, there is actually no, no justice. There's no in justice and, in this world. Which is nice. I mean, I was like, well, I don't think that that's really the way it works, but it was kind. Um, and then subsequently then called me years later and was like, hey, we wrote this movie, Solitary Man, and we want you to be in it. And, and they were directing together. And um, and it was great. And they are, they're incredibly loyal friends. And they're, And it's very fun to be able to have an ongoing long dialogue with with artists who are making something and trying to make something new and they they also respond to to me like wags was initially conceived was totally different i was going to be a strong silent upper east side wasp that <laughs> that is like the the man behind the man that you and that and that on some level, Damien's character was going to be the wild, you know. And you would have to rein him it. in. Yeah, and then okay. I would always be there to sort of hold him back or or correct the mistakes that he made. And, that would and, have been a tragedy. And then as we shot it, they were like, no, we've got to do the opposite. And so most of the shit that I did in the pilot was cut. And then. Yeah, I was rewatching then, the pilot the other yeah, night. Yeah. Really not there. Clean shaven, none of the twirly mustache. So then. So then as we were reconceiving it, they were just, they knew that inside me, because I also wasn't, I had never been cast as that guy. No one would ever cast me as that guy. Yeah. And they just knew inside that I had all the rage necessary, um, <laughs> which I do. And uh, so so it was a great release and they were just like, go. And, the, and they stood behind me and they just kept pushing me harder and just like, go further, go, go, go. And it was incredibly fun to 
it's an incredibly fun thing to do and to play. And then they write they write accordingly and move the character. So you had input into Wags' in the, development in, in the very beginning, yeah. And I think I think that um, you know, like even the mustache thing. Like I had come to them and I was like, what if I have you know, what if I have a twirly mustache? And they were like, they're like, let's see. And I did it. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I How was like, he's like a guy. Out? It does. You do have to, you do have to definitely pull on it for a while. It's definitely. <laughs> they should, um, Showtime should sell wags mustache pomade nice. or something. Why not? Nice. You got to get points on that. Come on, Showtime. Figure um, it out. I mean, this, they're willing to sell lots of other wags. They've got things. the cutout, they got the right? cutout. They got the t-shirt. You have a t-shirt for yourself? Oh what would wags do t-shirt? <laughs> you guys are you guys are behind. I don't know what's happening. We got to get there. the merch in here. You got to get that merch. Is there a wags moment that you get stopped on the street or what's the what's the sort of highest I do I think the the sushi thing is that responds to a lot of people and, and respond to that has way. it ever happened at a sushi restaurant that I've done that <laughs> that I've been that, that someone <laughs> did that to me um, or somebody did for, no I've never experienced that okay because there's I, it feels like at this point Maybe now you should go to more sushi restaurants I, you gotta go up to Sugarfish just go up the street and Delicious. just say hey yeah. come here yeah, yeah. because <laughs> um, I, I was wondering now at this point after, especially after the second season, that you you get such a huge amount of home run lines and mm. home run parts. Like, yeah. is there a point where you're you actually ever say to them like, we should probably no no, way. no there's never I any want it all you don't want to hit the brakes at all no way okay Why so what is it what's the fun of that no Who wants to see that <laughs> no I don't it's like people that like, they want to see him break good you're like Fuck that no way <laughs> you just want to see that like and if that guy ever like at the end where you know he turns into a nice guy oh my god that oh, well, that's the, the thing is because I think that the the, aside from the lines, the mustache, everything, the thing I like so much about about Wags is that he's kind of like this Virgil character who is guiding other characters through hell. You yeah. know, you get to go to all the cool places. Yeah, you know, you get to go to the Turkish baths. Yeah. in the in the beginning of the third season, um, you know, and it, it makes it that much more of a New York show because yeah. you just feel like you're out and about. And you you live in New York, I do. Yeah. So is this a side of New York that you've never seen that you kind of knew some of those places? Yeah. When you get to some of those high flying spots, you're like, I have never had the entrance card yeah. to this. So this <laughs> yeah. is the, the golden ticket where you really get to go into the bowels of New York and see some really awesome shit. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, I am not a multimillionaire, so uh, or a hundred millionaire right. as, as Wags is, but it's when you get to go. Um, and hang out at some of these places. It's just really exquisite. Like, you know, Wags lives at the Pierre Hotel. The right. Pierre Hotel is really lovely. <laughs> and then when we were shooting on the 32nd floor of Wags's house, Wags's apartment, um, it was awesome. Did you ask if you could like stay over for research I kind of wanted to. Yeah. I wanted to be like, Can, what, if, what if Wags stays here tonight? What if Wags and by Wags, I mean me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read an interview you did um, about Breaking Bad, actually, with time, I think. And you were talking about how when you arrived at Gail's apartment on the set for uh -huh. Gail's apartment that there were details in the production design that unlocked the character yeah, for yeah. you. And I know we were joking about the mustache, but as the Wax character developed throughout the writing of probably season one, I would imagine, were there details about his character, like a small thing that, you know, I wouldn't have known about by what just watching that you were like, that's this guy. I mean, there were things because it was a development and because it was a real collaboration between the, the way that because they had conceived it one way and then started conceiving it another, there was an, uh, an opportunity for us to talk about it. So like like the mustache is a great example where I was like, it is a knowing thing. He's knowingly doing mm -hmm. this. He's like, I'm I am. It is a it's a strategy, right? He's a, he is strategizing about being a bad guy. Yeah. And there's it, it's it's not that he's he is he walks the line between being, you know, uh, being sort of drunk with this aspect of who he is, Sometimes but also, literally, yeah. yeah, but also using it to his advantage and using it knowingly to his advantage. There's a great that scene in the in the strip club where they go, yeah. where they go, and he pulls a fast one on these guys, and you're like, "Do you really think I'm that stupid? That I just, <laughs> I'm just, a, you know." I always said when we always when we talk about like when we talk about when you reach the limit when. If the if, if you if someone comes up with something and you'd be like, well, I'm not a fucking animal. Like the answer is like, would you do that? And you'd be like, I'm not an animal. What are you? Are you an, an idiot? It's, it's you know, he is a sophisticated human being. He's an intelligent person. He's an educated person. Um, and you want that from him. And so something like even the Pierre where I had pitched to them, I was like, I think that he lives at the Pierre because there is, you know, part of that backstory is has not even been revealed to 
the audience. Like yeah. when you see who his parents are, or when you see what his, you haven't really seen any part of his family life. Sure. And on, le- on some level, it's better, right? You don't want to. Right. But when it is eventually revealed what that is and who those people are, it will also be even more like, oh my God. So yeah, I had pitched to them, he lives at the Pierre, and then David Levine was like, oh no, he had lived there between his first and his second marriage and then kept the apartment between his second and third marriage. And I was like, that's genius. It's so it's so much more detailed and so much more than than for me that that just the idea of that really begins to deepen and expand and help you detail the way you see the world, the way he goes through life, the way he encounters people, the way he so even if you never, even if we never had shot that scene in the Pierre, even and just knowing that as a, it, it's an, it's enough just as a single detail to be like that really expands who this person could be. Sure, and I think that Wags with two X's is completely different than Wags who's never been able to know love. Yeah, yeah you know what exactly. I mean. Um, you know, I was curious because you're talking so much about this being part of this show, even you know from in some ways since your college days Mm. but you've been a part of so many excellent excellent projects and often jumping in midstream yeah how hard is that how hard is it to show up on set of the good wife or set of the office and and you're just like okay like i mean obviously there's different levels of like your guest starring run right right? but even for something like breaking bad which was up and running and you come in and you're this huge subtly huge agent of change in that mm-hmm, show. Mm-hmm. How do you find your way into the material when it's it's kind of like up and running like that? I mean, that show that show was, I was already a fan of that show. I had watched, a, a good friend of mine was one of the writer producers on that show. His name is Sam Catlin and he runs, he's the showrunner now on Preacher. Yeah. Um, so I had watched from the beginning because he was involved in it and, and was incredible and I was an enormous fan. So when I auditioned for it, the the, ver- the the audition thing was the the piece where I read the Whitman I recite the Whitman poem to him, and it was so clear to me who that person was, and the writing is so good that on some level there wasn't I didn't even I was like well I know exactly who this person yeah. is I know exactly how he fits in here even though I don't know what the end game of where he's going and I think on some level they did which they didn't tell me yeah um, until later and then <laughs> Vince came up to me and he's like you know we're gonna kill you and I was like oh no shit oh, I no. like this TV I want to be on this TV show I don't want to die um, but you know drugs don't pay so uh, or they do until they really pay um, so it was. You know, it it is it is a cliche, but part of it because because it's so true is that the the writing really guided you. Mm-hmm. So it was really very easy. And once you get onto those sets, you do have to kind of figure out what how it all works. Like, what's the style and what is the what is the vibe on set? Like, who who how does it run? And you really have to be you have to allow yourself to be very flexible yeah. about, okay, you may have an idea about what this was or how it's going to work or, and when you get there, you've got to just be like, okay, what are we going to do? How does this, how does this particular world run? Um, and you just have to pay it. You have to really pay attention. Is there it. like, for instance, I went on the wire. It was the fifth season yeah, of the wire. Yeah, yeah. And the first day we had like a four page scene. It was all like journalist speak. And we were shooting this long, long wide shot from miles away. And I had to do all of this, this stuff that I was like, could barely get it out. I was like, because it was difficult and I I didn't know the world and hadn't watched that show, which I was very glad I hadn't because I would have been way too intimidated to (laughs) actually speak while I was there. So then the script supervisor came up and she was like, so in the third page, you changed this to that and we're going to have to reshoot the scene. And I was like, I changed this to that and you're a mile, you're miles away from me. We're all like tiny little specks on the screen and I changed this to that. And I was like, which this and which that and which is it? And and I was like, and that's how you have to learn the world. That the words, the words that David was writing yeah. are are clear and they were just like, it is, it is set. There is no deviation. Don't deviate. And on that level, then you're then you learn the culture of how to be there, right? Yeah. Um yeah. 
And that's that's hard if you're walking in and you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, which is it? Is it this or is it that? Is it this or is it that? So were you more so with Breaking Bad, it sounds like you were almost less nervous because you had seen the show. No, I was more nervous than I had seen the show. I was like totally cocky when I hadn't seen The Wire. And I walked in and was like, what the fuck is this? And then I started watching The Wire as I was doing it and got like progressively (laughs) more and more anxious during as the season went along. I was like, oh, my God, this is one of the greatest television shows ever created. And I can't believe that I'm part of it. Is there something that is a consistent theme, whether it's Vince or David or Brian that you're working with on these incredible projects that these showrunners or these shows have in common? I think, you know, I think in terms of casting, I think I've always described myself as a like side of the pot actor. Like, you know, when you make a sauce that the the, the stuff that stays on the side is the, as the, the water evaporates okay. from the sauce. Yeah. Like if you look in the middle of the sauce, you know what you're going to get. And you're like, oh, I like that sauce. I'll have a bite of that. But if, then if you look on this, the crusty sort of side that's sort of more concentrated and stranger and you're like, well, I don't know if I like that. I'm more on the side of the pot guy. Okay. So if you scrape me off the side, um, you're going to get something unusual. I am, I have my own sort of way of looking at the world and, and, and I want to maintain that and I want to bring that to what I'm doing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, it's often to my own detriment, you know, I'll get a script and I'll read it and I'm like, well, I know what they want. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, but why wouldn't you just do it? Just- Is there any time you remember getting a script that said that and you were like, and later on you were kicking yourself or not going? No, no. No. Because I'm just too much of an asshole. So I'm just like, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to deviate from it. And when I have deviated from it, I've screwed myself. Yeah. Like you get there and you're just like, you're not happy and you don't want to do this. And because you didn't, because you weren't uh, as fully authentic as you want to be. Mm-hmm. Like I am my per- my own person and I'm just like, I want to be that on screen as fully as I can be uh, because then I'm going to actually bring life to what these guys sure. wrote. Yeah. And and I, I think, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but I, I, I feel like that is, if there is a common thread between those guys, um, they like that. They, they, they want that. And they are, they are each one of those people also their own person yeah. in a very distinct way. And their voice is very distinct. And, um, I want to be able to engage with people who are as deeply authentic as they are. And they all have something to say really deeply. And I, I think it's different vibes, different, like, Oh yeah. 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 They're all totally like how, like how so. I mean, David is an incredibly serious guy, and Vince is—they're all really nice people. And but it's just a different—it's just a all totally different world. And when you find, so you were kind of alluding to this, but obviously your character Gail meets his demise in, in one of probably the best episodes of television I've ever seen, if at least not the 21st century. Nice. I mean, I mean, full measure. The half measures, full measure, measure yeah. run is. I would put that up against most movies, I think. Well, even the end, even Ozymandias, even the, the penultimate. I actually, cause, of, so I actually have a personal preference for that end of three, beginning of four run, like oh, box nice, cutter two. Nice. I think that well, sometimes- you're really going in the deep dive with the titles. Well, I just lost, we, we, Andy and I were just talking about it, but I actually think that sometimes shows become aware of their own finality towards uh-huh, the end. And uh-huh. even though Ozymandias is obviously like just phenomenal, yeah. there's something about it being in- that's like peak LeBron. That's like peak yeah. peak Ken Griffey Jr. or something. It's like you're watching an athlete that doesn't have an end yet. Yeah. So you're kind of and and when that happens, when Gail Gail dies, you know, it changes Jesse, it changes Walt, it changes That's Gus, true. it changes Mike. And I was wondering if you remember anything special about shooting that episode or reading that script for the first time or knowing if you even if then you knew you were making something incredibly special like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved playing that character. I loved him. I just, I felt so, I felt so connected to him emotionally. Yeah. And um, I felt like the sacrifice that that Vince was going to, that the writers were going to do to kill someone like that is so strong. It's yeah. so costly. You know, it costs them so much to have created something really lovely and then really brutalize the your audience by taking them away, um, and that was you. You knew that was happening. Also in that in that episode, that's the episode where I sing for the first mm-hmm. time. So Vince had asked Sam 
if I had any talent. And he was like, does, it, does he have any talent? Can he do anything? And Sam, can he, yeah, does, can he do anything? So he said, so Sam was like, yeah, well, he can sing. What if it was like, he can shoot three-pointers? They would have had to do that. They would have had to have been like, that's what Gail can do. He's like, well, no, but he's an incredible three-point. He's got incredible range on the court. Um, so, uh, so they knew, so then they just gave me the tune and I, they didn't know I spoke some Italian, I, mm-hmm. I, I, which I do, and I, I'm, I am a trained singer, so I, I could sing the tune. And it was an incredibly complicated song, and it is brutal to, to learn because it's a powder song because it was in an, in an, the Neapolitan dialect, which mm-hmm. is a very difficult dialect. We couldn't find; they had to call the embassy to get the translation of the tune. <laughs> it was a song from the '40s, um, so there were some recordings of it. Obviously, there was the recording we sang to, and it was it was great and it was just like so you also knew that inside of this inside of this great loss that you had to do you also had to have this great celebration and yeah. the celebration of music and song and his life and and for who he was and that i love i loved the tune and i loved how it set set it up and it's interesting cuz then the second tune is the one that gets more play sure yeah um, yeah yeah but and people forget about the first tune. I really love it's, the first it. Was tune. it was it harder to do the the singing or the speech in the wire the first day? <laughs> uh, well, the 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 preparation they're both very painful. Um, probably this probably the singing because you have it has to sort of be effort. It has yeah. to look effortless. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to ask you a little bit more about season three from Billions without oh, yeah. giving too much away. After Wags had such a, I thought you know like very tumultuous breakthrough kind mm-hmm. of like you know season two. Um, it does seem like, at least from f- the first episode, like you're going to get to do some stuff with Asia. Yeah. And I was curious if you could tell me a little bit about working with them mm-hmm. and a little bit about the fun of being on a show for this long. It seems like you get to pair off with different people. Yeah. And that's like, th- that's the real fun for me when a se- something gets to season three yeah. and it's like, oh yeah, let's get, let's get these two together and yeah. have them go do something. So what can we kind of generally expect from... Season I do. Three. You you will you will get some you'll get some wags in Asia, uh, wags and Taylor stuff, which is which is very fun and it's it's interesting to. Um, uh, he doesn't really take them under his wing, but he does give them a fuller experience yeah. of the world. And in like in that first episode where you see he takes them to the 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 baths, yeah, the Eastern and, Promises scene, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And it, it's fun. So we got to do stuff like that, and I got to know Asia, and it's really uh, they're a very interesting uh, person, and they're a very interesting character yeah. on the show. And I think it's a really not only groundbreaking, but but perfectly set for the world that we're making. And that on some level, there is um, you know the the proof is always in the pudding for for whoever's working. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you bring it, and you 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 can do the job well, like you are accepted. And if you can't do the job well, you're fucked. Get yeah. the fuck out of my face. <laughs> and so there is no, there for Wags, he's just like, great, you're in charge now. Yeah. Let's fucking do it. Yeah. Let's go. And I like it because it would have been easy to be like, Wags is super yeah, yeah, suspicious yeah, yeah, yeah. of yeah. Taylor. And it's and like, no, like, it's just what, like, let's what rock. What fucking fun is that? Yeah, that's, right. There's no fun in that. Yeah, that's um, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So you get to see there's, there's, there's some slight openings that both of us offer each other and, and, uh, uh, it's good. You're it's smiling. A, I yeah, like this. It's good. It's I can't good. wait. All it's right. Good. David Coswell, thank you so much for coming by Thanks to for the watch. Uh, check out Billions every Sunday on Showtime. Boom. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Barry. As a reminder, the new HBO comedy series Barry premiered on Sunday, March 25th at 10.30 from executive producers Bill Hader and Silicon Valley's Alec Berg. The new HBO comedy stars Hader as a hitman who discovers a new passion for acting while on a job in Los Angeles. Don't forget to check it out. 